Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. It's called up yonder when the roll is called up yonder when the roll is called up yonder when the roll is called up yonder And let me just say um, God is not done with America, as some of your favorite evangelists would have you believe. Um, there is not less drawing power of the Holy Ghost now, as some would have you to believe. The Holy Ghost is God. That We don't have less God, for crying out loud. Uh, God would be an unjust God if He backed off America all of a sudden. There is no judgment on America. Judgment will not come until after the church is gone. Chastening to the church may come, and we deserve that. But don't believe this garbage about judgment has come. Judgment has not come. If judgment was coming, nobody would question if judgment had come. Judgment of God comes swiftly and He comes heavily. And we're not facing that right now. And uh, God's not done with America or any of that garbage. Hear me and hear me well. God has not changed. The church is wonderful, but we're failing. We've got a lot of work to do. The place to start is fasting and prayer. Right. Amen. That's the place to start. And repenting before God that we might draw closer to Him. We've got a lot of work to do. And uh, I don't like Calvinism because Calvinism blames God for sinners not getting saved. Right. It's God's fault sinners aren't getting saved. He's just not chosen. Well, uh, I don't like these preachers who act politically Calvinist like, well, you know, this is God. You know, these are the last days and prophecies being fulfilled. And and the reason why America's in a mess and the reason why liberals are winning elections, it's just God. Don't blame this garbage on God. I know the book of Daniel that God sets up kings and takes them down. I know that as good as you do. But we don't live in a kingdom. And now it's hard for us to, to communicate how we reconcile all this. We don't live in a kingdom and we don't have a king. We live in a constitutional republic and there is enough form of democracy that we have elections and the will of God's not always done. Right. If the will of God was always done, everybody would be getting saved because it's not God's will that any perish. Right? We have elections and people make wrong choices a lot. Right. Y'all with me? Amen. So quit blaming God. See, this is what, you know, well, this is happening because God's allowing it to happen. Don't give me that garbage. I'm so tired of hearing these preachers who don't know a thimble full of civics and they want to blame God on what's wrong with our country. No, we, 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 we have, uh, we have, uh, we have bad elections and we have bad schools right. and uh, we've got some bad churches and we've got some bad people and, and, and we've, we've got a lot of work to do. That's what we need to be concentrating on. It's a job we've got to do. Right. Help me, Lord Jesus. Amen. We okay today? Right. Amen, preacher. Right? Right. Faith for America is here now because God ordained it to be so now. And we've got a lot of work to do. I only wish this kind of ministry would have been around a long time ago. But I'm grateful the Lord lets us do what we're doing because the people that we say we don't like need Jesus desperately. 
And that's what we're trying to get into them, not to lobby conservatism, not to lobby for the Baptists, but we're there to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And you help us do that, and I am so grateful. Amen. Amen. I want you to pray that we'll get, um, you know, another 20% of the support we need each year, that that next 20% will come in 2021. And I believe it will. Amen. Matthew chapter 6. This is what's happening in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus has gathered somewhere on the north side of the Sea of Galilee with a very large group of people. And in chapter 5, 6, and 7, he is preaching and teaching what you and I have been taught to call the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it is beautiful, isn't it? Don't we love it? The Sermon on the Mount would not shock me if in the millennial reign this message, the Sermon on the Mount isn't used as some form of constitution for the government uh, of Jesus Christ. I mean it's just so wonderful, the teaching. And in Matthew chapter 6, in this, uh, in this teaching, the Lord takes the time to speak to this very large crowd about um, prayer. And he says to them in verse number 9, after this manner what he is saying to them is after this pattern, the Lord Jesus is giving the people a pattern by which they are to pray. And so he says, after this manner, therefore pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done as it is, uh, uh, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now, I don't know if you have a habit of marking in your Bible or not, but if you do, I would invite you to underline verse number 11, where Jesus bids them to pray, give us this day our daily bread. When you go over to Luke chapter number 11, instead of, uh, instead of a large gathering, there is a small gathering with Jesus. It is his disciples. And we talked about that little group last night. And in Luke chapter number 11, his little Taldim, uh, his little group of Talmids, his little group of disciples have gathered with Jesus. And they ask him in verse number 1, teach us to pray. So, in verse number 2, he says, When you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Verse 3, Give us day by day our daily bread. There it is again. In, in Matthew 6, Give us this day our daily bread. In Luke 11, Give us day by day our daily bread. This is what our Lord Jesus has taught us to pray. Now, I, I, I do want to um, preface this morning that this is not the first time that this request has been made. Understand Jesus the rabbi is teaching this prayer based on much Judaistic uh, um, upbringing, much of Judaism, much of their daily rituals, uh, 
the uh, hot tefillah, which is a prayer that they prayed uh, daily. It's a prayer they still pray today. If you go to the Western Wall in Jerusalem, you'll see the wall lined and crowded with uh, many uh, rabbis and other uh, Jewish people rocking back and forth, and they're quoting something in Hebrew, and what it is, they're quoting the hot tefillah. And there's there's much of the hot tefillah woven in this model prayer. There is uh, uh, there's uh, things from the Shema. There is uh, things that they quoted and believed that Jesus is woven into this model prayer, and he's teaching even me and you to pray. I don't, I don't believe there's anything wrong with us literally praying this prayer as part of us, as part of our prayer. But we learn because it is a model, because it is a pattern, we learn a lot about what to pray about and how to approach the Lord and I pray. But understand this concept of asking for bread is not new and the Jewish people would have known that. When you go with me back to the book of Exodus, and I invite you to do so. In the book of Exodus, you remember what's happening in the book of Exodus, right? God has miraculously delivered the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. I want to remind everybody, if, if I could this morning, that the Bible declares that it was with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Amen. And I'll remind you what is written, I believe, it's, uh, I believe it's 1 Samuel chapter 2. It describes that we have a God that killeth and raiseth up. He can do anything. Amen. He's a mighty, mighty God. And with his mighty, miraculous power, he delivered the children of Israel out of uh, the bondage that they were in down in Egypt. When you get into chapter 15 of Exodus, Moses is leading the children of Israel in a song of praise praising God for doing just that. He says in verse number 1 of Exodus 15, how that God hath triumphed gloriously. I like that, don't you? It says about him in verse 3 that he is a man of war. It says about him over in, uh, let's see, in verse 6, they praised him for his forever and all is well in chapter 15 right, right. But when you slip off into chapter 16, they are in the wilderness of sin. And instead of praising the Lord, the Bible says in verse 2, chapter 16, that the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured. <laughs> they're complaining. They're full of indignation. They're mad. They're railing against uh, Moses and Aaron and complaining about God. They even took the Lord's name in vain. They said in verse number 3, would to God we'd die by the hand of the Lord. Instead of praising him, now they're mad at him. But when you get to the end of verse 3, they explain why they're so mad. They're hungry. I get mad when I get hungry, don't you? <laughs> and this is what the Lord said to Moses in verse 4, I will, I will rain bread from heaven. God promised I'm going to give you bread. And that's what he did, did he not? 
out in the wilderness every morning when they got up they went outside their tents and there was bread laying on the ground right we call it manna there's these white little round things they say what is it it's bread from heaven just as God said he would do every single day they got up and went out and gathered their bread day by day the Lord did not forget them you couldn't can it you couldn't store it up it would spoil before the end of the day but I tell you this much every morning there was fresh manna fresh bread on the ground day by day God did not promise them daily steak but he promised them daily bread but as an added blessing along the journey God gave them quail to eat and that amazing and God gave them a rock that gushed out water that followed them everywhere they went that's a miracle their clothes didn't wear out all of those 40 years it seemed to expand with them as they grew it was a miraculous thing but day after day after day the Lord provided for them daily bread amen so what, a, what an amazing and, uh, and, and miraculous uh, uh, touch of God on their life that day by day starting in Exodus God was, uh, was providing for them daily bread now he's teaching us to pray and give us day by day our daily bread. Amen. Amen. Now, the best way I know how to try to explain the, the power of this thing, because listen, when you get in the book of John, John chapter number 6, in John 6, Jesus declared him that those children of Israel, and uh, those people, those Jewish folks there, uh, they, they made some comment here in John chapter number 6, how that our fathers did eat manna in the desert. And, uh, and they're, they're indicating that it came from Moses. But Jesus said, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. He said, the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. He said in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He has declared himself to be the bread that we need. And he indicates that we must consume him and become one with him. Jesus is our daily bread. Right? Well, I need to help us make sense out of this. And the only way I know how to make sense of this is to take you to the book of Mark. And I beg you to go. I beg you to go. Go with me to Mark chapter number 6, please. Mark chapter 6. And I'm going to have to take a moment to borrow your imagination. Will you allow me to do that? Will you allow me to do that? Let it, let it, let's pretend this morning that this uh, room, this sanctuary, is the Sea of Galilee. Now, you, you understand, this is not really a sea, like an ocean. We, we know that, right? It's a, it's a large lake. It is known as Lake Genesaret, right? right? You, you've, got, uh, you've got the Jordan River, which, uh, which comes from the foot of the Mount Hermon. The Jordan River flows in and feeds this large lake. Uh, it, 
it's approximately 12 miles long at its point and maybe a couple of miles uh, wide. But, but this Sea of Galilee and, and the Jordan River flows out of the Sea of Galilee down through the Jordan Rift Valley toward the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea at the end far south uh, is, uh, is the lowest point on planet Earth. And the Sea of Galilee is the lowest, uh, uh, fresh, it's freshwater, the lowest freshwater lake, the lowest body of freshwater anywhere in the world. And this is where mm, we're going to enjoy much of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? You are sitting in boats on the Sea of Galilee. Let's pretend that this pulpit area is um, Capernaum. Y'all with me? Capernaum. This is where Jesus has chosen to call home. Somewhere back here behind us up on the mountain will be Chorazin. Off over here around where the piano is, is uh, a little fishing village known as uh, Bethsaida. And by the way, Capernaum, Chorazin, and Bethsaida. This to many is known as the Gospel Triangle because a lot of the the work of the Lord Jesus and much of the miracles we read about in the Gospels play out here in this triangle, right in this general area, okay? Now, over here on the, in the west uh, side of Capernaum, you've got a little village called Magdala, and uh, you're familiar with Magdala because there's a woman in the Bible by the name of Mary Magdalene. She is from this little community of Magdala. Off over here in the corner, there's a, uh, there's a community known as Genesaret. Hence the name Lake Genesaret. Then you've got Tiberius over uh, on the western side of the sea. Now, over on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, we have nothing but mountains. We're familiar with this part of the mountain, which, by the way, you've got to cross over to go into Syria. We're familiar with these mountains known as the Golan Heights, right? Right, right. And then these uh, mountains run down somewhere in this vicinity. I hate to tell you, sir, but somewhere in this vicinity is where those hogs, remember when Jesus cast those uh, demons into the pigs, they come running down and drown themselves in the Sea of Galilee somewhere in this region. And most of these mountains are known as the, uh, 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 the Decapolis Mountains, Decatien, Capolis City, the, 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 the Decapolis Mountain. By the way, we're having a test after church. You be taking us. Decapolis, uh, 10 cities, uh, known for 10 major cities, and it runs far south, even beyond the Sea of Galilee. Matter of fact, it ends up in an amazing city called Bethsheen. And we, boy, we'd love sometime to talk about Bethsheen with you. We okay? Yes, sir. Got your geography? <laughs> Somewhere in this triangle vicinity. Somewhere is where this Mark 6 scene is playing out. A very large crowd wouldn't doubt there's not 12,000 people gathered with Jesus. The Bible says in verse 35, verse 34, Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moving compassion toward them. Verse 35, when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, now the time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country round about into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. 
he answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. They say unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred penny worth of bread and give them to eat? He saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. Now, because of John chapter 2, we learn there's a little boy, right? Little lad and his lunch. Y'all remember that? And he gives his little lunch to Jesus. And that's where they get this uh, five, uh, in verse 38, five loaves of bread and these two fish. He commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up into heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided him among them all. And they, now watch verse 42. They did all eat and were filled. They wouldn't have had room for banana pudding if you'd have brought it. Y'all with me? I mean full. I can't eat another bite on bread. And he took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fishes. I need you to understand that in this uh, north end of, the, of the, the Sea of Galilee, in this region here that I've described to you, the only people that live here are Jews. Many of them are poor, but there's nothing but Jews. How many tribes of the Jewish people are they? Twelve. How many baskets did they take up? Twelve. It is an indication that Jesus is trying to teach Jesus the bread of life. It's trying to teach these Jewish people. He took a, ba a basket of, of leftovers, one for each tribe of Israel, as a picture to say, I, the bread of life, am more than enough for the Jewish people. I am your bread of life. I am what you need more than anything day by day and I'm more than you need. I'm more than enough for the Jews. Amen. 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 So far so good? Amen. In Mark chapter number 7 look, look uh, they left this Bethsaida region they went over somewhere on the other side here of the Sea of Galilee and in verse 31 of chapter 7, they departed the coast of Tyre and Sidon and came unto the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. So they've got in the boat, they've sailed out in the midst of the Sea of Galilee, and they've gone over there to the Decapolis Mountains, right? And that where we said Decapolis is at. So Jesus and his disciples are over there on, on the Decapolis Mountains. Now, notice with me in chapter eight of Mark verse one. In those in those days the multitude being very great wouldn't doubt uh, that there's not and by the way when here back back in I, I, I need to back up and tell you in Mark chapter five when they counted the people here they said there's five thousand men then then when you add their wives and their children that's where I get that twelve thousand of course 
says, I like that 12 number because them 12 baskets. Somebody help me, all right? I'm just taking a little evangelistic liberty. But in Mark chapter number 8, verse 1, there's a great multitude with Jesus over there in the Decapolis Mountains, wouldn't after 7,000 people. Having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him, saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me. They've been with him three days without eating, and they're hungry. They have nothing to eat. If I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for diverse of them came from far. And his disciples answered him, From whence can we satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have ye? They said, Seven. By the way, uh, down in verse 9 it says there's 4,000. That's men. So I've added wives and some kids. So they've got seven loaves of bread. Right? In verse 6, he commanded the people to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves, gave thanks and break, and gave to his disciples to sit before them. They did set them before the people, and they had few small fishes. He blessed and commanded to set them also before them. And so they did eat and were filled. Again, Amen. I've ate so much carbs, honey. I've ate this bread loaded with carbs, and I, I'm, I'm so full, I, I can't go home. I can't walk, honey. I can't get up off the ground. My belly's pooching. I've ate so much bread. I ain't never ate bread like this in my life. Dear time, I didn't know there was so much bread. And I've sat here and ate and ate and ate till I can't eat no more. Every time I turn around, this man Jesus give me more bread. And I can't eat more. I can't eat no more. Can we just sit down? Will you sit down? The wife said, how do we got to go? Will you sit down for a minute? Let me rest. Amen. Right? Amen. Right? You know that's what's going on. Right? They've ate until they were filled, and they took up the broken meat that was left, seven baskets. Now, I have to tell you, what does that mean? What does that mean? I need to tell you who's living over here on this mountain. Uh, the book of Acts, chapter 13, mentions it. The book of Joshua talks about it. But Deuteronomy really, really sets it out from the beginning. When God sent the children of Israel into this land to begin with, this land of uh, Israel, the children of Israel come out of the wilderness and eventually they crossed over the Jordan River into the, up the mountain where you'd find Jerusalem, down the mountain, maybe around the mountain, over in the Judean hills, down to the coastal plain. That that's where God wanted them to drive out all of the inhabitants of the land, right? Deuteronomy chapter number 7, verse 1, When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and has cast out many nations before it, count them with me how many they are, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hibites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. Guess who they are? They're non-Jew Gentiles. These are Gentile nations that when they were driven out, and by the way, I know the Jews didn't completely drive them all the people out, but those seven nations, uh, when they left this land, settled into the capitalist mountains. 
I know there are ten major cities, but those ten major cities are made up of seven Gentile nations. Jesus fed Jews here, but he fed Gentiles over there. They took up seven baskets of fragments, one for each of the seven Gentile nations as a testimony, I, Jesus, the bread of life, am more than enough for the Gentiles. Is that not the mystery of the church? How that God tore down the wall of partition between Jew and Gentile? And when we all come to know God through the person of Jesus Christ by grace through faith, we become known as the church. Amen, right? And Jesus not only is more than enough for the Jews, but He's more than enough for the Gentiles. He's more than enough for everybody. So far, so good? So... Verse 10, chapter 8, straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Dalmanutha. If you study Matthew's account of this event, you'll find out Dalmanutha is the same city as Magnala. So Jesus and his disciples got on a boat. They sailed out into the Sea of Galilee and came over here to this little village of Magdala. Notice what happens in verse 11. The Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. He sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, There shall no sign be given unto this generation. And he left them. I mean, they're, they're aggravating our Lord Jesus about a sign, wanting more signs and wonders. So Jesus gets his disciples in verse 13, gets them back in a boat. By the way, I told you that this is not a an ocean. Well, this boat is not a yacht. It's a very small vessel. As a matter of fact, I was able to go to a museum which is over here by the little, well, I think it's uh, it may be on the other side of the little community of Capernaum. They have a museum. Several years ago, back in the 80s, there was a great drought, and in that drought they uncovered a small fishing vessel a boat that was used in the first century uh, and, 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 and they've got it on display here in this museum. It's a marvelous thing. It's a small vessel. It is exactly the kind of vessel Jesus and his disciples would have been in. So they're in this little boat. They circle out from into the sea, uh, from Magdala, and they're going to come back over here to Bethsaida. While they're in that boat... Uh, verse 14, the disciples forgot to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf, and they're nervous about it. And they're complaining with each other about it. And I can hear them arguing, did you not bring him bread? Well, no, I thought you were supposed to bring bread. Well, what about Judas? He's the one with the bag. Do you think he would have put some bread in it? Can you hear them fussing? Well, Jesus, hear me now, small vessel, he hears them. He knows what they're talking about. And he charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of Pharisees. And by the way, that is hypocrisy. That's a whole message in itself. And the leaven of Herod. That's a whole message in itself. Saying no to Jesus, wanting to remove him completely. The, the leaven of Herod and the leaven of Pharisees is alive and well in America right now. Y'all with me? And they reason among themselves, he said that because it's, it's because we have no bread. You know, I wish you'd have brought more bread. We don't have but one loaf of bread. Jesus knew it. He saith to them, why reason ye because you have no bread? Perceive ye not, yet neither understand. 
have you your heart hardened, having eyes see you not, having ears hear you not? You got your pencil out? I'd underline this phrase, do you not remember? Right. When I break the five loaves among the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments took you up? They said 12. When the seven among 4,000, how many baskets full of fragments took you up? They said seven. He says, do you not remember? Why are you arguing about bread? How many loaves of bread do you have? Got, we've got one. Well, that's all I need. I really don't need that. Have you already forgotten I'm the bread maker? Do you know what I can do with your one loaf? Have you already forgot? This was just the other day. It's not like this was years ago. This was just the other day. And you've already forgot, gentlemen, I'm the bread maker? Jesus bid us, if you need bread, just ask. What? Give us this day our daily bread. And the whole point of me preaching this is to remind you, sometimes I think we forget who we're dealing with. That's right. He is the Almighty. Amen. Why are we pushing panic buttons? Right. We should never be the one. I, I know why Washington pushes panic buttons. Sure. I understand why Columbia at the Capitol, why half that crowd would push panic buttons. Right. I know why Hollywood's pushing panic buttons, but why are me and you pushing sure. panic buttons? There you go. We don't have to push panic buttons. We can pray. Right. And when we pray, we commune with the almighty God to whom nothing is impossible. Amen. Right. Amen. But I ain't got but one loaf. You know what he can do with one loaf? <laughs> do you know what he can do with one loaf? Just reminded us what he done with five. I reminded us what he done with seven. You only have one, all he needs. Submit it to the Lord. Put it in the hands of God and watch God do amazing things with your one loaf of bread. Amen. Y'all with me? Yes, Amen. Amen. Trying to say there's power in prayer. Why don't we do more of it? And then while we're doing it, do so with faith, believing, not doubting, knowing God is able. What do you need? What is it you need? He is more than able because he's more than enough. He saved you from hell. That's your biggest obstacle. That was your greatest need. If he can secure your soul from hell, he can handle everything else in our life. Can he not? And so we pray like we know him, like we're in the boat with him. Like we've been on the shore with him and we've watched him work miracles not too long ago. And he probably has. Probably this congregation piled up in an altar together and prayed for something recently. And you watch God do something amazing. I know he did that when you went to remodeling. If he cares about your remodeling, which by the way, you don't have to have this kind of building to have church, but we are America, and this ain't third world, and so we ought to try to give God the best we can. Say amen. Amen. Huh? Huh? Amen. Amen. Yeah, so if he cares about your remodeling, don't you think he cares about all your other endeavors? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Right. Yeah. And there's nothing he can't do. He's more than enough. Yes, sir. So he said, he said, with that in mind, don't forget, go to the Lord and every day say, day by day, Lord, I trust you. Day by day, 
I've got the utmost confidence. That's what he said when he says, come boldly into the throne of grace. That doesn't mean come arrogantly. That means come confidently. That I know that as I bring my petitions and make my requests known unto you with thanksgiving, you can do it. Because you are the Almighty. Day after day after day. Heads are bowed. Once again, if you don't mind, Miss Haley will come. That gives you folks a chance to not have to be distracted. You can call up in this altar and pray. And I think that's what we ought to do. 2020 had a large number of challenges. 2021 started off with the same old stuff. It's not going to be any different. It's going to be loaded with challenges. But we serve a God that is greater than the challenges. And I want us to act like it. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. Oh, hey.